the rural station is completely contaminated by the urban warming from the reference station. I'm very glad to have this opportunity, of course, to, to present this talk that I gave a week and a half ago in Orlando, simply because I think I have too much information. I have to cram like 20 years of work into 20 minutes. So that's that we shall not attempt today. So we're going to take it at our own pace. And I really hope that the audience will take away from this by basically use the slide or somehow modify it take it away and talk to everybody about this because I think this is one of the key topic. It really only takes us about 20 years to reach this level of understanding and maturity. Yesterday, I was caught by the talk of Gavin Schmidt Goddard Institute of Space Study Director at JPL. I watched the whole talk. It's very painful. I mean, the claim is that the climate model is so good that they can explain all the wiggles and changes in the global temperature record. <laughs> well, I think that Gavin and many, many of the IPCC accolades and supporter ought to take a step back. There is a strong reason for myself. And by the way, this talk was, a, I would say, joint contribution by my two other colleagues from Ireland, uh, Dr. Ronan Connolly and Michael Connolly. We work very, very hard to try to understand everything in the sense that people say, oh, truth. They have the truth. We have the truth. Everybody have the truth but nobody is listening to each other. I really hope to settle this one question about how good the thermometer record is and how good is the IPCC estimate of the, what you call solar irradiance in terms of saying, oh, the sun is not important, right? So we will be able to settle this, by the way. This is really a very, very good collection of uh, solid information. And of course, kudos to all the people who have studied this issue especially on the quality of thermometer record. One of the key guys has to be mentioned is Tony Heller. I didn't have a chance, by the way, to acknowledge all these many people. Tony Heller, Stephen McIntyre, Mr. McIntyre was very key also in this topic because he was chasing Phil Jones, you know, Warwick Hughes. Warwick Hughes from, uh, from Australia is well known. And then, of course, our, our own guru, which is uh, Anthony Watts. We are, we are working with them also on one very key paper, but I don't need to mention it now on, on U.S., HCN. Anyway, there are plenty of scientific papers because the whole goal is not to just talk. You have to prove it. You have to write a scientific paper, coach it in a very nice way in which that we can explain everything. So that's my purpose. Really, I can frame it in the sense that we want to ask a simple question. When you look at the thermometer record, can we explain it? Is it mostly human cause or mostly natural? This is much more for the popular level, but the key question is still that how good are the thermometer record and which one should we use, right? Because... Clearly, everybody understands about the urban heat island problem and many other problems which we'll discuss in detail, the example. And then, of course, the explanation part. I Even now, I want to start by saying this. It is so sad that the way they approach this science, everything is not science. Everything is cartoon science. They turn everything into cartoon that they can put this nice animation, graphic. That's what Gavin Schmidt, director, that we, his paycheck come from us that he's pulling such a stunt, actually. I hope Gavin Schmidt listened to this, actually. We've been trying to engage them for at least decades. They refuse, of course. They say, oh, you're nobody. The usual slide is basically, you are just a climate denier. You're paid by force of you. All of this is not even close to a full truth. It's a joke, okay? And then they don't want to discuss this. But I have to tell Gavin and Michael Mann, IPCC, Al Gore, everyone, hello, I'm still here. All right, this is not to mock them, just to tell them that, please, Let's be civil. Let's discuss this because this matter is really urgent. 
I mean, yesterday during his talk, it's very interesting. I, I hope Tom Nelson will later you have a chance even link his uh, his talk at JPL at the bottom of this description of this video so that people can contrast because I think that's the key contrast. He almost in tears. I mean, the guy is really worried about the planet, obviously. I can I can sympathize, you know, but then sometimes it doesn't make sense to worry about something that is not true, actually. Not even close to being true. And then please don't paint us as somebody who wants to kill our children and grandchildren, and then they love their children so much. It's such a crazy and unfair accusation, you know? That's why I think I, I have to say all of this to, to try to put a context into why we work so hard on the science, because we, we care nothing but the full truth. There's no other chit-chat, no other shortcut. Simply because the data quality that they talk about is just really a lot of problem, and we want to discuss this in detail. That's why I want to take my own sweet time to tell you this story, okay? So let's start. First of all, I'm a scientist at the series-sign.com. I, I will pitch uh, the work that we have done at series-sign.com later. Okay? The first thing is to understand what IPCC view on global warming is. So it has about five claims, right? And then, of course, this will basically, you can get every of this statement coming out from the AR6, which was come out in about August of 2021 or, or November, I forget what day. But the first claim is that global land surface temperature have increased, has warmed. Okay, by 1.6 C or 2.9 Fahrenheit since, I think, 1850 or so. I guess this is what they mean by global warming. Then the second claim, which we will challenge immediately, and you will see evidence against this, is that they make a very clear statement that the urbanization bias or any of these so-called non-climatic factors affecting the thermometer readings are very small, they say. When you average it overall, even though you can find it in locals here, when you average it, which is hand-waving like a magic, <laughs> science have no magic. You have to understand. So it's less than 10%. Thank you. Okay, they're trying to quantify. I can understand that. Good. But I tell, tell you that this is a nonsense. This is the kind of very bold kind of thing that we are gangs. We are the expert. Okay, you are the expert. I am a non-expert, but I study the issue very carefully. And I put out my reasoning. I'll show you what my data is. And I explained, okay? That's that's the whole purpose of this, this conversation. The third claim is that the estimates are all identical. It's beyond dispute. This is where the, the another tragic error, in my humble opinion. I will, I will support my case. Human activity, CO2 is to blame for this explanation of the curve that they chose. And I try to remind you that there's an alternative. And then natural factors such as the sun and volcano cannot explain. This is when I mentioned in the beginning about the sad part of how they cartoonize everything. You know, the whole field of volcanology, volcanology turned into a joke. No one bothered to measure what is coming out from the individual volcanoes. Just think about the chemical output, the water vapor amount, the CO2 amount, all these other stuff coming out. And plus many other things affecting the circulation, so on and so forth. But they turn into one single forcing, quote unquote, aerosol forcing. I mean, even the volcanology, volcanologists, the one that really believe in this crisis of carbon dioxide, really all bought into this. I felt very sad because what about science? What about volcanology? Why don't we study volcanoes to, to understand? And, and your whole field is being paraded as some kind of cartoon. It's not a science, actually. So what is there to study, right? Oh, Gavin Speed was saying, oh, 
our climate model is so good. By 1990s or, or late 2000, we already think that's so good that we can calculate. The, we have observation, we have calculation, it fits, okay? Here's a here's an IPCC illustration of this. It fit the observed temperature they chose, okay, which is the black curve. And then the brown curve are basically the simulation using solar, volcano, plant CO2, and all the greenhouse gases, right? And aerosol forcing even, okay? And then they fit. So therefore, he said that, oh, we are so good that we, we should stop already funding. And he also agreed with us, actually. But he said we got, we got more to offer because, you know what? Climate model is not reality, they say. But he's trying to say, despite the imperfection, we know so much, we're so clever now, we can start pounding our chest, okay? Yeah, yeah, we are King Kong, we understand everything. I'm very sorry, this is the kind of approach of science that is wrong. The first question that we will address later is, of course, the black curve, what does it mean? Okay, what is it exactly, right? So we'll explain that later. And then clearly that I will also challenge the forcing part, especially on the sun, because I've been studying the sun irradiant forcing for 35 years now at least, and, and I couldn't agree with them. Not because I don't want to agree with them, not because, oh, because of funding, this and that. No, 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 no. Have nothing to do with that. Willie Soon is a very simple person, very simple human being. Okay. I want to understand. I want to make sure that these are all, if his Garvin Schmidt is correct, oh my God, I will agree with him. But there's a lot of things, almost 99% of what he say I couldn't agree with. Okay. That's part of the problem. So what do I cover in this talk? Sorry, we're going to take longer than 20 minutes. So we will start with the history and evolution of global land temperature records. Oh, by the way, I will discuss uh, sea surface temperature and ocean temperature. That is, please don't underestimate us. That's why I try to warn a lot of people. We have studied and considered everything. There is no rocks or even tiny pebble not flipped by me in that sense, because that's how hardworking I am in that sense. But I, I, again, please tell me anything because I'll be happy to accept any criticism and suggestion or things that we miss. Let's start with global land thermometers record because I like to start with something that we can understand. The sea surface temperature that we will talk about, I felt very sad too, another problem. What's the problem? The sea surface temperature, the amount of sampling that we have over the world ocean is actually not good. Why would you start pounding your chest saying that you already know what the sea surface temperature even for 150 years, even though we have studied this for almost that long? You have to weigh the information, how good it is, right? So we'll talk about this land temperature record. There are six steps to that I'll explain in detail. Then we'll talk about the heat island problem and what we call other non-climatic biases. Like sometimes when you put a thermometer up, is it really measuring climate? Is it really measuring weather? And then if you have other non-climatic, not climate-related stuff, you know, like urban heat island effects or even a tree growing next to the thermometer station, you know you know that that has nothing to do with climate, right? So you have to somehow get rid of it. So we call this non-climatic biases, okay? So the third question, which is the trick, we ask the simplest question. What happened if we just use rural station? I will even explain to the point where Ronan always warned me, don't say that they haven't considered this. Yes, they have considered this, but there's another level of tricks that I want to explain to this audience here. <laughs> when they look at rural station, in fact, one of the guys that just attacked me on my internet was uh, something like Dr. Keith Strong, a solar physicist, who tries to say that, wow, you know, when they look at the urban and the rural station, they agree with each other. Ah, why is that? Here we will also explain that. 
It's because they use the homogenized data set. This is why Tony Heller insists on using the raw data. But I, I also have to say that they are right on one thing. The raw data also need to be corrected, but we have to do it right. That's the whole point. But don't use the homogenization. The automatic quantization is the number one danger, I think, in all this problem, okay? So we will talk about the statistical homogenization of the temperature data. And what, what is that step, okay? So we have the step we'll explain. You know, this is the problem. And then the sixth one, the sixth point is rather critical. It's the solar forcing. When they say, oh, you know, it all has to be CO2. Without CO2, we can explain nothing. That is clearly another bias, to put it kindly, that the of the IPCC consensus-driven kind of a non-science, basically. I'm sorry, I have to be precise with my language. This is not scientific endeavor. This is clearly a, a consensus gangster science in some sense, right? <laughs> so I, I do want to alert that the sun indeed can explain the global warming of the rural station if we show the evidence, okay? And then again, for the slide, go to Tom Nelson's webpage where he collected all these different slides, or you go to our webpage, which is uh, series-sign.com slash post slash ICCC15, okay? And by the way, I truly also want to acknowledge the Heartland Institute. I know how hard it is for them to find the money to hold the conference and allow me to talk in their conference. So let's start with this history of global land temperature estimate. So the first stage, I would say, as early as I can find, uh, we can find, obviously that people start measuring as soon as the, the thermometer scale like Fahrenheit and Celsius, right, were, were established. But in terms of collection of the data, folks like Vladimir Kopen, He's basically a Russian and German geographer, right? And uh, his father was a medical doctor, worked in Germany, blah, blah, blah. He go over there. Then he established this scheme. They started to collect data. And then Edward Brockner is a German who was also well-known in terms of trying to collect. He's a geophysicist. And then Homer Cloud is basically from U.S. Weather Service. There's another character by the name of uh, Charles Exxon, uh, Australian, who basically a hydrologist. They were being credited by... Basically, when they try to collect data, by the way, of course, this is not global, obviously, they collect whatever the data they have. So Brockner published such a curve. You can see it's roughly every 30 years or so. So there's a famous 30-year cycle that people assign to. By the way, there's another guy involved, William Locklear. William Locklear, his father is more famous than him. He's the son of Norman Locklear, who is the guy who discovered helium on the sun. So essentially, helium was discovered first on the sun than on the earth, found in Texas somewhere. But <laughs> that element, which is the second lightest element, right? And uh, he also is the founder of the journal Nature, by the way, which totally degraded this day, right? Which is now number one world publication, uh, stuff like that. But anyway, that was the early phase. Early phase, people were asking a simple question. Does the climate change? You know, I mean, in a large scale, here I wouldn't use the word global, right? But they roughly try to ask the question. Obviously, that they decided that when they collect all the data, it, it warms and cool, warms and cool. So that was the thinking at the stage one. By the way, at the bottom, we also try to put the current estimate of all the land temperature, global average of Berkeley. Earth, uh, which is uh, Richard Muller and uh, Roder, your, your buddy, and uh, CRU, which is the Climatic Research Unit, NOAA, ASA, four of them, right? Just to average them and to show you how they progress over, over the time period that we're going to discuss. The second stage now. 
Second stage, I would say in the 30s and the 40s. That one by a guy named Joe Kinzer, by the way, who was also president of American Meteorological Society. He actually started to collect a lot of this data. Back then, of course, no one doesn't exist yet. So the best collection of data back then was from Smithsonian, which is, I used to work for Smithsonian Institution, right? And I used to see all the handbook. I'm the guy who read all of them. <laughs> who go in there and take a look. <laughs> Most people just think that there's nothing, but those are a lot of information. Anyway, Kinzer beginning to note in the 30s, in 33, he published this paper. And then a famous guy in the CO2 global warming camp is actually a guy, Calenda, right? His father came, he's an Englishman, but his father came to McGill University in Montreal to teach. And he was born there in Canada. So he's a Canadian also. So for those who like some credit, he's also a Canadian Englishman. And then he went back to England, studied at Imperial College or something, and then and turned into a mechanical engineer. But he was very early on saying that, by the way, he compiled this curve, who's showing that it's beginning to warm up. So that is some kind of global warming. And a modern curve did verify some of it. But if you count like 1850 or so, it does warm up a bit. And he also insists that this already must be the signal of the man-made fossil fuel use and burning combustion and then it emit the CO2. So that was a hypothesis. Back then, people are gentlemen. They were discussing this and he was saying that, oh, you know, this warming could be a positive effect, even though it's, he suspects it's from the man-made part of it. Because he said, you know, in the ice age, just like uh, Svante Arrhenius, right? They suspect that, you know, coal is kind of bad for human being. <laughs> so he also say that, you know, this ice ages, this warming could be a good thing in some sense. Of course, that, that is uh, beside the point. Yet, yeah, we still want to study what is the evidence, right? Let me go to stage three, global cooling. So Kinzer continued to publish the paper. He realized by the 40s that it's somehow not warming anymore. And then many more people like, like uh, Mitchell from uh, Enka, uh, Mikhail Buriko from uh, Russia, Saint Peter, uh, they are basically from St. Petersburg. And then Steve Schneider at Cliff Mass. And George Kukla, my good friend from uh, Czech, who passed away already at Colombia. And then the Japanese, Yamamoto, was also publishing a paper showing that it doesn't warm anymore. It started to cool a little bit. And you can see the, the modern record <laughs> somehow make it a little bit more flat already. Okay, where, where all the cooling, this is the one that Tony caught. Uh, Tony Hannah was very hot on this. What the heck happened? We'll, we'll show more later, by the way, details. Detailed because we truly understand what happened. It's it's basically a result of how they adjusted the data. It's the homogenization problem, really. And then of course, guys like Rasul and uh, and uh, Schneider, Steve Schneider, the late Steve Schneider, uh, speculated in nineteen seventy one. This cooling is caused by pollution. See, he didn't have the insight that it was CO two or anything like that. But guys like Wally Broker, which is also very well known, insists that it still must be CO2. It shows you that they have a little bit of insight here and there, okay? In, in some sense, I think that we should not fight about whether CO2 causes global warming or not, right? It, the whole question is about the magnitude. People keep out trying to argue, oh, it's a pressure effect, have nothing to do with the radiation. These are all <laughs> somewhat controversial topics. And we really don't have sufficient information, actually, or even observation to rule out one way or another. All we want to address is that CO2 is indeed an infrared active gas. So it will be able to modulate the flow of infrared radiation. So I don't, I'm not going to get into this because this is a huge can of worm that I'm quite sure everybody wants to challenge you and, and, and stuff like that. But I want everybody to calm down a little bit. Just look at this. Just talk about temperature first because we will work on that. We are also working on those topics. 
I, we don't want to get into Nikonov, Zeller, a bunch of all these other people. You know, it's complicated, okay? For that, please take a break. Stage four, global warming is here. That's the hot summer of uh, 1988. Tim Worth, the Colorado senator, and of course, the young Tennessee uh, senator by the name of Rob, uh, Al Gore, <laughs> Albert Gore Jr., <laughs> was uh, very hot on this topic. And uh, they even, people must have known about this story. If you guys don't know, look it up in NPR, where they talk about that hot summer at night, they open the window to make sure that all the hot air come in and then turn off the air condition so that, you know, it's a bit hot. And then uh, even, even set, there are certain pictures showing, uh, I hope it's not a manipulated image. And by the way, I, I don't want to chase all this thing, you know, like Hanson sweating while he was testifying, right? Hanson is essentially saying, in that 1980, global warming is here. Stop being wishy-washy. We have evidence. In fact, in New York Times, you will see that. He said, the evidence is here. We are 99% confident that the global warming is here. Kudos to him, obviously. And then the problem is that this is a political move, obviously. The evidence he had was very weak. I mean, during that testimony, Sukuro Manabe was sitting next to him, the guy who produced the model that got a Nobel Prize right, was actually was much more cautious at that time. They really don't think that a graph like this is sufficient to prove. By the way, that was the best graph back then, right? Look at the graph in New York Times. I mean, how are you going to be so confident? Are you, are, maybe, they, maybe, by the way, there is certain phenomenon that these people thought that they are profit. All the graph that was shown by Gavin Schmidt for his talk at JBL, they have a revisionist view. They did something to revise and say that they were already so good even at that stage. So they have never been wrong from day one. That is such a spectacular claim. I wish it to be true, by the way. It's not possible. The reason why is that I know the guy. I work with a guy by the name of Professor Eric Postmantier. He died. He passed away. He said that most. But he used to work at GIS. He was the guy responsible for the mixed layer model, this uh, climate model. I worked with him. We formulated the energy balance model ourselves. Just by using pencil and paper, we just work on it during sailing, for example. I'm just trying to tell you that, Gavin Schmidt, please calm down. I mean, we know what, what was involved in those climate models before, okay? So it's, it's, it's somewhat silly, but you know, it's, it's, that's part of the history now. The world panic, the most important thing is that IPCC was formed. That's where the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Obviously, it's not a scientific body, it's a stage five. This is the stage where I think you come in. <laughs> you were very active in the Climate Gate story, right? I don't want to go too much into Climate Gate, but that was the end of this phase, stage five. And But the main claim here is that urbanization is not a problem. Raw data is not reliable, so it must be homogenized. I don't agree with that when I say raw data need to be corrected. That, that one I can agree with. And then, of course, the hiatus in global warming which was already proven by many papers. Here, the paper by Kevin Travers and Fasulo, clearly showing you that there is a stasis, there's no continual warming. And you will say, you will see at the bottom curve, look, flat thing is slightly, <laughs> slightly, <laughs> this is another one of those effects, okay, that we will explain in detail. So stage six. Stage six is basically sign is settled. If you challenge this, you should be hanged. I mean, there are many of them, they want to trial us for, for crime of the century, blah, 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 this and that, right? The essence of that was basically shown by the graph on your right, which means they put NASA Goddard Institute studies uh, estimate 
Hadley Center, NOAA, Japanese Meteorological Agency, Berkeley Earth, and then uh, this guy, Carlton and, and Wei, right? Those guys are English uh, scientists uh, doing things like this. It's all agree. It's so beautiful. What is that to argue if this is really correct, isn't it? I mean, do you think that I look like such a foolish guy and so stupid that I want to challenge this if this is right? It's obviously not right. That's the whole point. Because here, they combine the land thermometer station from urban and rural together. Not only that, they use the homogenized version. So these are the three secrets that you combine urban, you add the rural, and then you add the use only the homogenized one, okay? One important thing to start clarifying is that the main source of data here is basically the GHCN, the Global Historical Climatology Network. It's, it's in charge by NOAA because Smithsonian passed the torch basically in terms of collecting a World Meteorological Organization, basically it's a place where you accumulate all this world data from Nigeria, from Ghana, from Malaysia, from all these people send in the data, right? Of course, it's not homogeneous. Sometimes they decided to send, sometimes they decided not to send. So there's a lot of gaps. The best one is still the USA, of course. So indeed that we have version three, which is, we will discuss about version three data and version four data, okay? And version three, you have about 7,200 stations. And then version four, 20,000. This is something to remember, some of this keyword. So now, the question I want to start is, how reliable are the raw station record? Again, we have two types of non-climatic biases that we want to discuss in detail here. The first one is the step change, which is something one time happened, and then it could bring the temperature up or down at some value, but have nothing to do with climate change. That will be related to changes in instrumentation, the thermometer shelter, the station move, or even the observation method, right? From the old thermometer to electronic and so on and so forth, right? Or cutting down a tree near, <laughs> near the place, right? These are really have nothing to do with climate change, okay? How well you think that Noah and these people handle this? Not very well, by the way. That's the reason. And can I just say, and without proof, we have proof. We published paper on this, okay? Then the second problem, which is really much more difficult to do, which is the, what you call a subtle trend biases over years, systematic changes, uh, urbanization of the area is very key actually. This is one of the hard problems. And I, I, I want to provide some positive uh, news to people is in the sense that I don't want to overpromise, but we already been working on a paper for a long time, how to do this right for the USHCN, by the way. So we have gotten John Christie, uh, Anthony Watt to agree to work with us. So we are we are working on this, of course. We're just like so uh, short of manpower and so on. So therefore, I'll ask for people to help donate, things like that. Because we, we really know what we're doing. We're trying to tackle all these problems. But we just have so many problems we want to do. We don't have time to really cover this thing very quickly. Plus, that I don't like to rush. I want to make sure we do it right. You know what I'm saying. That's the whole essence of doing good science. The first example, step bias. Look at this station. It's in Austria. It's called Kremmunster. It's a monastery. This is considered a rural station. And you look at the, the sighting, the sitting of the thermometer. In 1767, they started very early, by the way. This is among the one of the oldest ones. They put the thermometer outside the window, and it's seven meters above the ground. And by 1980, they move it outside here. And you can see the Stevenson screen. That, that one underneath what really don't like it because of the pain and all kinds of problems and degradation over time with rain and heat and so on and so forth, right? Look at the data. In the, in the early part, you can see, and then the warm part, 
is coming, right? This is from the server meter retreat. So what I mean is that these sort of physical changes need to be recorded and then correct for it, adjusted for it properly, because you cannot just use this data. It will be a dangerous one to do. So in a sense, I'm not, not changing, not adjusting the data is also not a good idea when you have information like this. You cannot just use the raw data because raw data is not the answer to everything, that's for sure, right? So we need to adjust for it, but we need to know the detail of this. The problem of the thermometer data is actually getting this historical metadata of how the station is changing over time. And we work very hard, we have some success, some, some failure. We cannot get anything from Arctic, but we know somebody good in Arctic that can give us the information. So far, we are not successful, but we are able to work with people from Europe. Now, Urban Heat Island, what is it? It's just basically a phenomenon that is very well known. In a city, when you build concrete or you change the land surfaces, used to be a swamp, let's say, and then you build concrete over it, or even a, a concrete that then you turn into a garden or park like that, right? Clearly, the inner city is so hot compared to the out, outskirts of it. This phenomenon, I wish I could pull a quote, look up the, the work by Luke Howard. In 1820s, he already realized this for London, right? Inner, inner London versus out, outside of London, right? And this is indeed a human caused climate change in some sense, local though, and have nothing to do with greenhouse gases. That's why we have to be very careful of what we're looking at. Now let's look at the, the urban heat island problem. Here's a two example. One is the heat map from Paris, one is from Singapore, right? Southeast Asia. In the summer of uh, 2003, you can see the inner city is so much hotter, it's up to five degrees Celsius. So that's about 10 degrees Fahrenheit, right? And then Singapore, more or less the same magnitude, okay? And that's a very clear example of problem that you have. The question is, how do you remove this? You use homogenization? Uh-uh. That's the one that we're going to show example. That's when you're going to introduce problem rather than solving the problem. So in terms of the urban heat island problem, the first tackle, there are many people who have tempted, but I think one of the best ones is still from my two colleagues, Ronan and Michael Connolly. In 2014, I still don't know them. I don't work with them yet. They started an idea themselves to examine independently. I think science is so valuable in the sense that we should have a lot of independent people, independent-minded people. They look carefully into a problem. So they look at the version three of the GACN, right? Record from NOAA. And then because US has the whole station, 1,200 of them, they divided into fully urban, fully rural, and then intermediate. And then started to aggregate the data and see what it looked like. So urban is at the top, the most urban, and then the most rural. And then if you subtract the difference, look at what you got. That's the difference of the half a degree centigrade or one degree Fahrenheit per century. So that's a very large factor. So you already have an idea that this thing is not a small little potato. In fact, it's going to give you warming trend or no warming trend. Really, big deal. Even when they do this, they already use the data sets that's already corrected for the problem, non-climatic stuff called the changes in observation time. By the way, got to give credit to Tom Cow, who is the director of the NCDC, National Climatic Data Center, who was uh, early on in the 80s and the 90s, was realizing about this one particular problem, that sometimes they go out measure in a different timing. So you're recording different stuff, right? So you go down. 12 o'clock, someday, next day you got, you got drunk and then you go out at 2 o'clock. So, you know, slightly different. So you have to adjust for that because that's, those are the things that is, is non-trivial. By the way, 
If anybody who wants to think about this class of problem, I, I beg you to think about the problem of measuring sea level, tide gauge. There, you will see how hard the problem is. You get the tide problem. If you don't have a standardized way in which what time you go out and measure, you are in deep trouble. And plus the tide change over time. <laughs> you think about the class of problem. Here, we're talking about thermometer. That's why I like to go back to problem that we can understand first for, for the temperature record. This is how hard the problem is. And to have Gavin Schmidt and Michael Mann come in that everything is solved, good luck. Oh. If you care about the truth. I actually do have a question here. Do you have any comment on this thing that Chris Morrison raised about some temperature in the UK reached 40 degrees centigrade for just like one minute near a tarmac? That no, literally within not. a minute or two, it, it's uh, cool. I, I wouldn't but... be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, things like that, I think could easily happen. Uh, micrometeorology, by the way, the people in urban heat island effect, they have studied now into so many details now, by the way. Oh yeah, the field of geography is covering this. A famous guy is uh, Tim Oki from uh, British Columbia and things like that. that we, I look at lots of literature, but it's, it's getting to be too much details that I, I'm interested in broader picture. Okay, so let me move on. Now I want to talk about a very long rural record, another problem of non-climatic effect. This is about station roof. In 1867 to 1892, by the way, this is a location in Ireland. It's called Valencia Observatory. Valencia Island is way out there. They start measuring around that area. By the way, that's a key place. The Valencia Island is where the beginning of the cross-Atlantic telegraph, the, they have underwater cable started from there, okay? They put the thing out there in 1892 to 2001, they move it more inland, more inland by the coast. And then 2001, they moved to the current location. And then they started with the automatic station in 2012. During all this change, you can see the changes. You're 350 meter inland when you, in 2001. And then this place here is sloping. It's about 20 meter higher. But lucky that the marine air, I think, mixed up quite a bit. So they kind of, the change is less drastic than the one you saw in Grand Wooster because it's in a forest somewhere, right? And then, of course, there's another political change, which in 1937, the Republic of Ireland was formed. The fun part is that my two colleagues, their, their granduncle is the founder of uh, Republic of Ireland, James Connolly. Look it up, okay? These are the famous Connolly. These are the warriors. <laughs> anyway, the first thing is that how should we correct for the raw Valencia Observatory temperature, right? So we actually already attempted this in 2015. We published a paper in Earth Science Review, which is quite, uh, what you call, high-impact journal uh, papers, uh, journals, that we already work on this. We try to follow the station history. So in this case, it's very well recorded, so we have most of the information, so we adjust it properly. This is what I mean by adjust the raw temperature. We show you exactly how much we adjust, and we try to justify according to the history record that we have. This is what we need to do this. We have to do it on individual basis. We cannot use a computer program. I will show you the problem with a computer program. Immediately, we started the idea. Why don't we start looking at rural something, rural island? Because we have some hint from the rural temperature station for US, contaminants, right? So why don't we have rural island, rural USA, rural China, and then rural Arctic? Here, we also want to show you the data are very scanty, not enough, actually, but this is version three. You have five of the 13 stations remain rural, but then version four, we got more, so we're gonna have update on this. So, but it looks good, especially when they overlap. The trend of all these stations kind of overlap, so we have a little confidence. Now, here's the result. We started in this four region, not because we don't want anything, we want to have a little control of what to do. 
So rural island record look like this. You immediately realize that this doesn't look quite like the curve that uh, Gavin Schmidt and IBCC are, are insisting on. Rural USA is like this. Rural USA is one of the highest quality data. We will provide more detail in that paper because we're going to start quantifying. Quantify. This is just adjustment. Quantify all the non-climatic factors. Okay, That will be a key paper that we want to write. And then rural China. We also went through very careful. China is made up the data started in 1950. There are available information. So we work very carefully to try to come up with this best possible estimate. Rural Arctic. Arctic, I really tell you that there is a lot of problem. Even though it looks like it's rural, there's not much population. But you can tell, I went to a place called, uh, where is it, Salzburg. Most of the data from Salzburg come from the airport, but we don't have the details. You understand how else we would adjust for something. We take it as it is, but since we have no information, we'd rather not change anything. That's the whole problem, but we will work on that later. We have worked with one colleague from Poland who is an expert in Arctic region. His name is uh, Raymond uh, Pitzblatt. I'll show you, he joined us on the European uh, Temperature Record paper. So here's all the stations we have considered for these four regions. It's not because we don't want anything else, by the way. We do want to have everything, but then we don't have station history. This is why we conservative start with these four regions. But let's compare what these four regions does. So at the top panel on your left, you have this rural station combined together. It has a warming trend of about 0.4 per century. And then immediately, Ronan and I quickly say that, why don't we add the urban in to show people what happened? So we show the urban add together. Guess what? You double your warming trend for this four region only because we have the information, right? Why are you hiding? You show everybody, everything. This one now beginning to look like hint, hint, hint. Look like what those guys are showing, isn't it? Right? Can you see it? I hope people realize this is so important, which means we show everything, okay? Now I want to combine because back then they say you take only four stations. On the left here, the homogenized rural and urban station showing for all the, the GHCN data. And then you show the rural and urban and then the rural only. And you can see already two different morphology. One is a strict warming trend with a, with a 1940 to 70 almost flat and then go up, right? And then if you see the rural, it's doing more like a cyclical kind of a oscillation, isn't it? So that may be even telling you hint immediately that you will seek different explanation. This is why when I say, if Gavin think that he's so smart, right? That he has the answer, why don't he try to fit the right-hand side, okay? Show me that you can fit the right-hand side with a CO2 forcing alone. Immediately from these two estimates, these two contrasts over Northern Hemisphere, you already see that what IPCC say that the urbanization bias should be under 10% is wrong because it's at least 40% we have estimate here. Here we have quantitative comparison. One thing out of the window. That means what they say is not as good as what they think it is. So Willie, I do have one basic question here that yes. for, for a given weather station, when you're trying to figure out the temperature for the day, is it just the maximum temperature plus the minimum temperature divided by two? Oh, we work on all of that. When it's available for you at HCM, we have a T max and T mid, correct? Yeah. In fact, the MMTS, the max speed temperature record, they, they introduced that no one later. Sometimes they don't have, but though we always, this is just mean, basically the mean, the mean temperature. Do you understand? Uh, how is the mean calculated though? For a given yeah, station? From whatever is available, the max and the mean, and then get the mean. That's right. Okay. Yeah. But, but in order of this, okay, remember, 
we are doing this according to what Noah, GH, Hesian give. Okay. So we are also controlled by them in that sense, right? And the first question we want to do is this. If we use a rural and urban station, can we replicate? That is a rule number one in science. You should be able to replicate other people's result, right? Before you provide any alternative. So clearly black line is our curve. Black line is our curve. The rest is all their stuff, you know, from CRU, from, from China, even now we add China, okay? The other day, we, just now we put Japan, they're all more or less the same because they all copy of each other in some sense. But the fundamental problem is that they use a homogenization data and then you use a urban. That's the key thing. So we can calculate them. We can get exactly the same result. I think this is the part that is very key. It's not that we don't know, but do we prefer to use this to interpret climate? No, I don't. That's the only thing that I beg to differ from, from all these IPCC and all these guys. Like Elbow asked me, do you mean that you, one guy will go against 2,000 scientists? I said, yes, sir. If it's about science, it's about politics, then go ahead, knock yourself out. I, I have no problem with that. I'm not a politician. I'm just your humble scientist who want no fame or glory or money in that sense. Well, give us a little money if you can to help us support, do more work. So now I want to compare. How does this compare to the ocean and the temperature proxy? Which one is correct? So the top one is our rural only on your left. And then the bottom one is the one that urban plus rural. So you already see the difference. Now, can we compare with the ocean sea surface temperature? You can see in terms of the curve, it's quite more similar to our rural station only than to compare to the rural and urban. I hope we can agree on that. But again, the sampling of sea survey temperature is really not good, okay, in that sense. But we put out the best result that they have, okay, by John Kennedy, by the way. He's, he's a true believer in the CO2 global warming idea, by the way. And then three rings. If you look carefully, three ring records. If you don't add the, you know, hide the decline business that Steve McIntyre and other people broke and you yourself was involved, it, it looks much closer to us actually, except that the amplitude changes. That's why when Michael Mann just pro first produced the hockey stick, we immediately realized that it doesn't have the multi-decadal centennial and multi-decadal oscillation. The amplitude is significantly underestimated. Plus that they are measuring the changes of summer, tree ring mostly sensitive to spring to summer kind of thing. So it's a much smaller amplitude because winter changes is usually larger, right? For Northern Hampshire, for example. And then even the glacial length record. And if you, I believe that if you put a borehole record, it's also very similar like this, okay? But borehole community is also brought in by, by a lot of these global warming ideas, right? But anyway, this is just a first zero order estimate. And first of all, please remember, all of this has been published. We already put in our paper. We wrote a very drastic uh, review paper last year, uh, 2021, so in a very nice invited review paper. Let's provide an update, version three to version four. So version three was discontinued in late 2019. And then the data was up to 2018, right? They keep on it up. Now, now we're up to version four now. Version four has a lot more, significantly more data, three times more. So 7,000 to about 20,000, right? But the serious problem still remains the same. In the sense that version three and version four, NOAA, because of their philosophy and the, uh, the thinking, is that they don't provide any history metadata in that sense. So it's really a hard job in that sense. 
This is why that I want to tell you that how we were able to do this is, is we got grace by accident in some sense. We met a guy named Peter O'Neill. He's a mechanical engineer at uh, UCD, UC or College Dublin. He was interested in the station. He was interested in Valencia and Ireland. But then when he downloaded the station from uh, GACN, the NOAA GACN, he had to download the whole data set, isn't it? <laughs> we'll show you how many versions he has, but he downloaded a lot. So we met Peter O'Neill, so Ronan quickly hooked up with him. Come on, Peter, help us. Peter is a very nice guy. I really tell you, a lot of the credit should go to him because we cannot do work like that if we don't have the information. We are able to now collaborate with a bunch of European colleagues. So we have metadata for 847 stations, and we published in O'Neill at all 2022 last year. The first version we published in, in Soon at all in, in Chinese station in 2018. So we have done a lot of serious publication as well, except that those guys would just say, ah, you know, we don't need to read them. That's how that's how they approach science, and I think it's shameful in that sense, right? They don't want to account for us. Oh, by the way, if they found anything that we have done wrong, I mean, please tell us. I would quickly say that I did something wrong. It's okay. And the, this is the puzzle. Indeed, everybody that is have even half brain of thinking should always remember, why is it like this? Why is it so asymmetric? It's always them who make the claim and don't have to justify we make the claim, they don't want to listen. They just say you are false or fearful. Ah, well, that, that's not science. No, it's just childish, you know, wasting time. What is version four? Version four, yes, you can see from 1900. Very little station anywhere else except for USA. That's why USA is the savior in that sense. It's, USA have so much data. That's why we're able to quantify all the different effects, okay? that we attempted. We have already plenary numbers, but we're going to improve and show it. If you think about Southern Station, by the way, 80% of stations are in Northern Hemisphere in version 4. Half of the stations are in USA. That shows you how, how much data collection we have. Plus that, we started the, the co-op. The co-op system in US started in 1895. So we have really a long record, a good chunk of data. That's why it makes us... Uh, much more easy to study this scientifically rather than just wishy-washy. And then for those who insist on Southern Hemisphere, good luck. The very, very few data, 1900, no station at all, except in Australia. That's about it. There's nothing in the Southern Hemisphere, not, not much from South America, not much from South Africa. So it's a, it's a hard problem. That is what I'm saying. If you don't have the data, you cannot say that you know something. You have to say that you don't know. That's a big difference. IPCC is not willing to do that because they are like a politician. I know. I know the effect is small. I not only know, I know the effect is small, so therefore you should not study this. That's how they say it, right? And it's wrong. It's obvious. But the problem is that they are so rushed in making policy that they didn't want to know the underlying basis. It's a bit crazy, actually. It's wrong to do that. So let me now explain this homogenization problem and the rural and urban problem. Step by step. This is the one that I don't have time to, to talk about in, in Orlando very slowly. Here, I want to go slow. This is based on a paper by many and all 2018. It's in the BAMS or one of the Journal of Climate. Look at the first graph. He, this is the version three using urban and rural without urbanization. But the fact that they add urban make their curve look like a standard one, right? Strict warming. Uh, first of all, the end point 2016 is that I'll here. That's a thing that I cannot... Stop telling them that please don't use an endpoint like that, make it look like you're rising. That's just a cheating, it's just silly. First thing that we want to look at with or without homogenization for urban tree, using urban and rural. So what's the effect of homogenization? With homogenization, you warm the present, you cool the past, which is the solid curve adjusted. 
the dashed line is the non-homogenized. And then you can see if those with sharp eye, you will see that the 1940 to 70 is also flattened out. That's already three effects that you can see from just doing homogenization. And we'll tell you much more serious problem about homogenization is called urban blending that no one talk about except us in that sense. But there are people who know, people in meteorology, they know. But I want to point out, you want to make it a mainframe issue because this is the number one problem. If they're not correct for it, there's no hope of, of understanding anything. So I emphasize that we'll show later. Second step, changing from version three to version four, but no homogenization. The effect is small in the sense that even you go from 7,000 to 20,000, a lot of station changes. Look at the effect, it's not so big. Yeah, you have the same more or less effect, but it's the, the amount of amplitude is not too big. That tells you that homogenization is much more important than changing from version three to version four. So step by step, we understand all the different variables. For homogenization, you look, version three and version four essentially agree with each other. Like uh, during the talk, I asked everybody the platinum they done. They, they, they got it, right? It's, the problem is solved. Nothing more to study. So the final curve is exactly this. So it is somewhat surprising, isn't it? You change so many stations, but, but it's not as important as homogenization. You make your thing flat and then things steeper. In fact, even the, what you call the hiatus was also got pulled up, okay? from that process. This is what the danger of homogenization, you try to force everybody to agree with everybody, it's just a very bad thing, okay? But why does the homogenization add warming? That's the key question that I want to address next. So we will be able to address that. So first thing, so starting about 1990s, all the people say that we must have the homogenization data, it's the best. We have to use that, no question asked. <laughs> and the way they justify that, they do a lot of this synthetic temperature record published in uh, Victor Venema. And thank you for telling us that he passed away. Ronan and I were very sad because Ronan and him discuss a lot on all these different issues. He's, he's a scientist after all, you know what I mean? And then Williams, you know, the Manny and William guy, they, they all been using very simple stuff to illustrate. Again, I'm sorry, they miss a lot. But you see, somehow they, they have something, I don't know what to say about this, but the problem is that that is not the solution. And how come they don't know where this simple problem that we will illustrate next? So they, that's the thing. At this point by 1990s, no question asked. You must use the homogenized data. This is why you don't see other curve like the rural station, right? Except for individual curve that produced by, let's say, Tony Heller, for example, right? No other people. I myself always use the raw data myself back then because I don't know how to correct for the thing. I don't have information. Now working with Ronan and, and Peter O'Neill, we can do that now. Let's give you one example about what happened in terms of the homogenization methods that was recommended by NOAA. As we told you in 2015, we corrected for the Valencia station because we know four changes. So we adjusted, we adjusted a little bit. Now let's find out the parallel, what happened in NOAA homogenization method. Here's what happened. Dude, <laughs> I tell you something is wrong here. What we show here, one, two, three, four, five. By the way, we have about at least 1900 of this version of this. We just show you five versions. Each time that the GACN update the version three data in October 2011, January 2012, January 2013, July 2014, January 2015, all the recommended adjustments are different. Please stare at it. Do you understand the graph? We showed this in 2015 already. Every time they run the program, they produce a new output, but then the amount of adjustment it's different. They adjust it by this much, and each time they change, it's different. 
So that's very puzzling because if the statistical, so the first problem is that no consistency in the adjustment and it changed over time. That's how scary it is, okay? It should give the same result. But for homogenized for Valencia, we show that it's so crazy. That's why we are very worried. And back then we have only one station that we can check. We need a larger sample. And I, like I tell you ahead of time, we met Peter O'Neill, who's been quietly collecting the data for more than 10 years. He started in 2011. This is why Ronan and I like this, this quote very much. A man who uses an imaginary map thinking that it is true one is likely to be worse off than someone with no map at all. This is the real serious essence of this homogenization problem. Their adjustment is completely crazy in a sense. So what happened? Look at what Peter O'Neill do. Since May 2011, he beginning to download version three back then, right? Then by 2019, you can see they stopped version uh, three. So he started loaded uh, version four, the beta version in 2015, 2018, the official launch, right? Uh, 20, version four. He started to download all of this because every month when they send in the data, they run the thing, they update. I hope everybody can understand the step, right? There is no write-up that says, uh, here's the adjustment we made and here is why. Oh, no, no, no. You have to go into the program and use it. Use the program and check it out. Yeah. Because they just, you know, everybody is only wanted to produce the average Northern Hemisphere, Global, you know, the usual, because they all want to, they all want to fit their computer climate model with that, isn't it? Right? That's the whole idea because they all want to produce this composite. Now, now here's a number of version. Well, version four, look at that. 2011, he downloaded six version. By 2017, he downloaded 346 version. Total of 1877, 1900 version. Do you understand? Each of them, they don't have. By the way, we also downloaded the, uh, I know Gavin, we downloaded all the geese version too. <laughs> and, and one time, one of the guy, I don't want to get him fired, so I don't mention his name because who knows? They ask us for the older version that they already deleted. That's just so crazy. They are not, no, sorry. I shouldn't say ask, ask, ask Peter O'Neill. <laughs> Peter O'Neill, of course, gladly sent them. You know what I'm saying? You can only see these older versions, though, if you kept, like Peter kept a version. Yes, yeah. Uh, they have almost one version per day in 2016, right? 342 yeah, versions yeah, in one year. Like a lot of versions, yes, yes. That's how crazy it is. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> it's sad. It's very crazy. So that's a lot of data, isn't it? And also we have the beta too. That's less important because beta, they can claim, ah, I, I, I'm not guilty. But without this, we can do the analysis that we're doing next because we next ask two very simple questions. Okay, by the way, this is the paper. I tell you, God bless Peter O'Neill and Ronan Connolly and Michael Connolly because we work very hard to try to get a bunch of these people. Marcel Krupp, you can say he's skeptical, but he's, he's at least trying to help us for the Dutch station. Because his, his colleague, Rob DeVos, helped us do that. Herman Hardy, nobody want to look at the German station. So he helped us, right? And then you got a bunch of people trying to help us. There are people who gave us the metadata but refused to join the paper because they're afraid. It's all this political stuff, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't mind that, but I'm really grateful that people gave us the meta station, the history station, so that we can check the, with the homogenization application. How good are they? This is all the station we have. In terms of the metadata, we have about 259 for version three, which is the red dot. And then the white dots are the one that we don't have. In terms of the history station, meta station history data, for 847, if you ask yourself, is this good enough to do a Europe temperature record? Not really, because 259 is only, let me see, 
259 is only like 30, 40% of the available station. That's good. That's not too bad. But it's only 23% for the version 4, which means there are a lot more data, but we have only 24% of the, of the meta station history, right? So we have to be much more selective. We are moving on this topic too, but again, like you say, we have a short of manpower and things like, of course, resources. We have this information, so you can do a very simple thing. You can ask a very simple question for the adjustment, just internally, without comparing to, to the meta station, just internally adjustment. You can check like the one that five versions for the Valencia. You can check all the versions we have for each of the station and ask how are they con con applied consistently. Only 17%. And then some of them, large chunk of it, it just change all the time. Do you understand? So it's not all that changing. There are 70% of those stations uh, and like consistently that it doesn't change over time, but huge chunk of it change over time. So that tell you it's not so good, isn't it? Suspicious. It's much clearer to come up when you see the urban blending problem, okay? You, you look at the, the, and then when you compare with the actual station history, the adjustment, when they apply, let's say adjust at 1953 for this station, do we have a record saying that it should adjust in 1953? So we check that less than 20% of them have found a match. Other thing, no match at all, 67, no match. Which means <laughs> the adjustment are all introduced by computer algorithm, nothing to do with the reality. This is a serious problem. Since when did you see this being reported? I mean, why is that? Am I looking at somebody who wants to just steal money and... No, 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 no. I don't care about anything. I care about my family and this thing. I, I studied it. That's all. That's what I'm saying. I, I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you that how funny this whole thing is about. Now, the second problem, which is a big problem. I really want everybody to tattoo urban blending. <laughs> this is a serious problem. Ronan... And I realized about this long ago, except it's hard to do it, you know, hard to show it, okay? Uh, and it, it, I can even report ahead of time that, that uh, I shouldn't say it, okay? We have a, a paper that possibly could be published, but I'm not involved directly, but it's good. It's from Japan. It's a studying an urban blending problem. We have definitive statement to show that because the reviewer is possibly Ziki House father, you know, Ziki, right? Hello, Ziki. Ziki could be also saying, oh, maybe I shouldn't approve this and reject this paper. I, I don't want to jeopardize my, my colleagues' work. Look at this. We have urban blending. We already realized about this. It's true that when they apply this thing, homogenization, you actually cool the most urbanization. But then the problem is not this. That's why they always say, oh, look, we are so nice. We are conservative. We, we make this cooler. Uh-uh. The problem is that they ended up warming a lot of the rural station. And then when you put it together, it becoming a mess. A mess that you don't even know how to handle, I tell you. If they keep going that way, I 100% assure you that funding either be cut or there's nothing to be done. It's just crazy, actually. So let's start with a thought experiment. Imagine that there's no global warming. A simple station, first station, station A, is moderately urbanized. So it has only urban warming, okay? But no other climatic biases. So just start with this one, with a linear trend, okay? For 1.5 per century. Station B is very rural, completely rural, but it has somehow a step change between non-climatic factor. All of a sudden, they moved the station to a colder area or shaded area, right? In 1985, for example. I give you four stations to show. Station C, it's similar as urbanized as the station A, but it has a step cooling, same like the station B. Station D is heavily urbanized, but it has this sharp drop, cooling. Then guess what happened? If you try to urbanize this 
you try to homogenize this with respect to station A. So you have four stations, you try to make everybody mixed around station A. Look at what happened. The step is that you calculate the difference between A and B, for example. Then you have this curve. For C, you subtract the difference, you see it, so you catch all the breakpoint. No doubt you catch the breakpoint, but it's the trend that proceeds after that. And then when you do that, when you apply that changes, look at what happened. You can get all these different results. This is the final result using the homogenization that they recommended. But the actual changes should be flat. This is the one that if you avoid the urban planning. So this shows you the example of urban planning. Because you apply homogenization using a slightly urbanized station, you actually contaminated the rural station, the pure rural station. It's supposed to be no trend. Now, because you do that, you get about half of it coming from to the urban planning. And then focus on station D, which is the most urbanized. It's supposed to be three degrees per century, actual result. But when you're doing homogenization, you reduce it by 0.7, right? Oh, that's the part that they always claim victory. Oh, we are so nice, you know, we are, we are conservative, you know, this thing. Ah, this is the problem. This is the major problem. This is not only a problem, a major problem. And then the one that is exactly, they got it correct. For example, when they discuss this using a, a simple, uh, what do you call cartoon and uh, an idealized model, they basically show this. You know the middle one? Hey, we did it right. All done. Isn't it? I mean, kind of misleading, isn't it? If you don't talk about these other two, it's kind of misleading in that sense. This is why even in the cartoon way that they do this, it's a bit misleading. So here's the problem, please. Huge problem, urban blending. You contaminated, you just drink. I felt that they drank too much, not the Kool-Aid, but the strawberry banana smoothie. Then they forgot that you can no longer separate, cannot no longer get pure strawberry or pure banana after you do that process. No wonder, why do they keep recommending using only homogenized data? This is why in the 90s, it's all our effort by Nohwaga, all this group, including the CIO, using homogenization data only, right? So it's a terrible thing. They give you a little bit of reducing the most urbanization, but they forget that the rural station is completely contaminated by the urban warming from the reference station. So it comes in from the reference station because of the threat. A real world example, this has been studied by people. He and Jia are from uh, Nanjing, I believe. They're from Nanjing University. And they published a paper in 2012 by looking at 13, 10 stations in Beijing, in the municipal of Beijing, right? And then quantify them. By the way, the, the way to quantify most urbanized to least urbanized, you can use the night light. Peter, Peter O'Neill is an expert on that. So he, we, we have a quantitative ranking, you know, from we have quantitative ranking from least urban to most urban. And then we also use the population density record, right? To try to combine. So we have, we actually use two criteria in a lot of these things that we discussed. Most urbanized, has the highest warming trend. Least urbanized have least. By the way, the factor is very large, okay? Factor of five here. It's huge mm. difference in terms of the trend. So after you homogenize, guess what happened? You did, you did make your most urbanized become cooler. The trend is reduced, but look at all this. This is real world data, Tom. So that's a, that's a big, we have proof. Like I said, Ronan and uh, Two of our, one of our Japanese colleagues are working on another paper on Japan. We look at study in all the records from Japan. Indeed, we can show this phenomenon. So in that sense, it's a, 
it's positive news for science, but they don't like it, obviously, right? I, I don't know what to say about that. All I'm trying to tell you is that stay tuned and please help support our work. It shows you that we are the one that's doing the real work. It's a very hard work, by the way. Not only that, wait till you, you know how long we have to find the peer review. And they will review by guy like Ziki Housefather, right? I hope he's honest enough to... Sometimes they are honest people. But the problem is that they are biased by certain viewpoint. They don't see it certain way. So we want to show them, can we discuss this properly instead of just always fighting for nothing? I told you that if we're wrong, we say we're wrong. If you're wrong, can you say you're wrong? So it's easier to, to kind of discuss or else there's nothing to discuss, isn't it, right? You win, okay, you win, okay. I keep clapping hands for you. I don't know what to do. But that's the kind of problem that we cannot resolve until we have a civil discussion. That's the purpose of actually your communication, right? To try to put this into a video and things like that. I forgot to mention to you the, a phenomenon that we already understand when you... You remember the graph that we showed just now? I just want to show you. I, I, I can mention this because me and uh, Rodan and Peter O'Neill have looked into this graph. I have an additional point that I didn't want to discuss in uh, Orlando because it's political. People may attack me for really trying to be a politician. If you think about this, these are the Clinton and uh, Obama and uh, <laughs> Biden, quote-unquote, voter. These are Trump voters. From this, they, they sense different weather. They sense different climate, actually. You can show that if you look at the election map with the thing, my God, it's similar. That's how weird it is. I want to propose a solution. If they only allow, first of all, we need the, the metadata. And then if we want to do the homogenization, uh, the correction of the data, you have to homogenize with uh, urban, with urban, rural, with rural. You don't mix them up. Again, you got to separate them because they're two different reality. Ultimately, they are still reality, right? Even because people in the urban city experience more warm. That is true. You cannot deny the fact that they experience the warm, isn't it? I agree with that. But the problem is that what they're seeing is not a real climatic effect, isn't it, right? That's the difference. And I hope they can admit that at least give us that much. Or else I wouldn't agree with that. Nonsense, you know? If you say that is climate, that is not climate, right? So, like I say, what to do? We propose, we can't use a rural station, rural record, because to study the climate change, if you want to look for the cause and effect, so, Gavin, again, if you hear, you say that you guys can fit the urban and rural so well, Good luck to you, but can you try to fit the rural station and publish a result honestly? I mean, that's what I say, because their data is contaminated and then they add urban and rural station. We know already, let's go back to that curve, that the iconic curve for IPCC that I have to say that is mostly human cost. That curve itself captured the essence of what IPCC political goal is about, right? The policy goal is to say that we have identified a human. Stop wishing washing. As, as, as Kim Hansen has said. But the problem is that we know now the temperature record is contaminated by urban heat island effect and urban blending. But the question now, final part I want to address is actually, is the simulation correct, right? Are they right about the sun? I don't think so, right? Here's a very nice picture of the sun in, in H-alpha filter, showing you all the filamentary stuff, you know, taken very recently by this guy from Turkey. This one I want to explain. I don't know why that, that nobody wants to look at this very carefully. People say that we understand everything. So to measure how much the sunlight output has changed, you cannot sit on the ground. They have attempted that for almost 100 years. The Smithsonian, Samuel Langley and Charles Abbott, these are the two Smithsonian directors, have attempted those measurements in the early days. And they failed because problem with transparency, the cloud. So you cannot measure this accurately. In the eight, late 70s, 
we we oh 16 we do balloons, then 17 we have satellite. You build a thing called a radiometer. It's actually a black box, either spherical or any shape that you paint black inside. And then you have very sensitive thermometer and then you make a pinhole. The light goes in, then you're sensitive how much light. So you can have it in absolute calibration. So you calibrate with some standard. That's a radiometer that the standard, everybody built like that. Over 40 years now, we attempted to measure. There are 15 of them. Now we just squeeze about 10 of the different satellite projects here. Okay. There are 15 of them also. Look at that. From the highest to the lowest is 1360 to 1372. Huge range of not knowing what the absolute value is. I have discussed the consequence of that for climate model in one of my book chapter for the Institute for Public Affairs in Australia. I think in 2014, I published a paper discussing that. And uh, of course, they will ignore. They say, oh, it's nothing. No, no, no. It's important. The absolute value you need to know. In the early days when the NASA GIS model, when they couldn't get all the ice to, to be frozen, right, or, or melted, they moved the, this relative distance of sun earth actually to, to do those things. Those are true, actually. Oh, this day they say they're so sophisticated. Oh, and, and Gavin Smith say we don't even tune it. Wow, so nice. Yes, I believe you. But it's not true, actually. A lot of these are just over-exaggerated. After all, he's a director. He wants to sell the program. But these measurements are not known. So the question is, how do you, what is the trend? What is the amplitude? What's the trend? And here's the three possibility. One is the one that on the left is the one that called PMOD which is the Switzerland uh, Institute. You show a slightly different kind of a circular trend, systematically lowering of the sunlight. This is why they like it very much because they say now we're warming and this sunlight, this uh, iridium is going down. So it cannot be the sun, cannot be the sun finished. But there are other alternatives. There are the Acrim and there are also the Royal Meteorological Institute for Belgium. The question is open and they just want to say that we have consensus, therefore we win. And it's not the way to do science. That's the reason why Ronan and I wrote this about 70 or 80 pages of a paper, a review paper on all this topic. In 2021, we published this. It's about five, 600 of references. We even compare how much IPCC has cited versus us. Okay? People say IPCC is comprehensive. Not true. We are more comprehensive in terms of citing every open, open objective study. So here's the problem. Which one is it? And you can see the consequence of this satellite calibration with a historical is very important. The PMOD you tell you that it has to be systematically cool. Uh, Royal Meteorological Institute for Belgium also say that there is alternative, the acrim-based one, which is using the Hoyt and Shatton irradiance. We're not saying that this is the answer, by the way. I am very honest. I want to be honest enough that just make sure that the audience didn't get it wrong. I didn't say that this is the solution. I'm just saying that's a clear alternative to the, all these other two. And here's what happened. If you use the urban and rural, this is the IPCC point of view, Urbanization bias is very small, and then you use the irradiance from PMO. So IPCC is correct here, right? The sun could not possibly fit this curve. Don't we all agree? Everybody can agree when you look at the graph. But why is IPCC not showing you this? The rural only, and then consider the acrim-based TSI estimate. Now, can you say that you rule out that the sun has nothing to do with the climate? I don't think you can do that. By the way, we have published this result since 2015, and then we improved in 2021. We're going to produce another paper, which, of course, peer review has been very nasty. So we'll keep discuss with them and to see what their problem is. Or is it another new form of censorship? I'm not afraid of that. I will tell the truth. If we make mistake, like I say, I'm willing to correct for myself. So to promote what my work is, we are at seriesnetscience.com. 
We have published a lot of paper. There's a lot of paper that we're still not able to put it in yet. Again, we're too busy to even update our web page. We have only discussed two papers here, okay? Six and number nine in, in this particular talk. And then we are lucky that our very first paper was reported by IPCC, by the way, quarterly at all 2019. It's about snow cover versus the CIMIT-5 model. And we show that the computer model is wrong for all four seasons. But IPCC cited us saying that we agree with that for only two out of the four seasons and ignore the other two, which is really a silly trick. See, they, they try to use a gangster approach. They can even try to silence you by saying that I cited your paper, your paper agree with us. But we paper never agree with them. This is how they say that they have considered a skeptic paper, quote unquote. No, no, I'm not a skeptic. I'm just somebody who wants to know what the science is. I'm always skeptical. What's the problem? This is what I'm trying to show you, the example. So I hope IPCC will continue to cite our paper, or maybe they won't cite it anymore after they see this. I'm very sorry for them, but I hope we have the audience on our part. I mean, the normal people are always curious about what the whole truth is, right? This is the whole truth. So quickly, just a little pitch. This is not even half time. I don't know what time it is now in terms of this history or problem of studying climate change. But the score, I would say the IPCC score one, series sign is score one. But we are playing at a field like this. You can guess who's on this side, right? Who's on the bottom end of it? I mean, we did score one goal. They score one goal, okay, fine. Please help us, right? The problem is that you look, they've been really attacking me very seriously. This is uh, supposed to be a objective person. He's a computer scientist from Silicon Valley, Roe Khanna. They are such a nonsense, you know, continue to revive the old Greenpeace story of New York Times attacking me, saying that I take $1.2 million and then they give the context. It's over 10 to 15 years. By the way, for those interested, please ask Tom Nelson. I have a talk that I gave at Hillsdale College that explained everything for the first time in 2021, April. I have the link so I can provide the link to you for those who are interested, right? And this is just not right for them to keep doing this. They really want to arrest me. And the last one, last night, Mark Marano sent me this. Somebody even include me into this, what you call, white old man that is greedy and is a warm monkey. I have no idea how did I get involved with uh, Dick Cheney and the, the rich guy, the Koch brothers. I have no idea. How is that possible? I mean, it's so crazy that there's no way of communicating. And all they do is slam the label on me, which is crazy, actually. I, I, I don't know what to say. How am I going to link to uh, President Bush? I may not agree with him or agree in on certain things, or, or even, uh, by the way, the Supreme Court Justice, which are very proud, Anthony Scalia is there, you know, you, you know, all the good guys are there. You know, they are serious scholar and thinker, you know. But it's silly. They want to arrest me for being a greedy white old man who, who's warmongering. I send all the young boys to go and fight and kill innocent children. These are people that is very active. And then I hope the guy that do this, his name is Jason Bassler. I hope he will talk to me at least about this. Why would you put my image there? He said that he created this. He's so proud that he's on an airplane. He saw somebody was looking at Facebook and showing it. And then he wanted to tell the guy that I created this meme. He said, oh yeah, you're so smart. Why don't you check some facts first before you jump on it, right? so wrong just because you read something did you call Wilson to ask her whether he's a greedy old man that love to have war in fact I hate it so much actually finish one final slide please support our work of course 
if what I say have to do with that, because really I think that I I started this thing in 2018. I started to think that, by the way, to solve this problem, one of the serious things is basically funding issue. There are a lot of us who are rather reasonable. We are good in what we're doing. We are serious, but we can never access the funding. There's no way we can get funding from NASA and, and NOAA and all that. I used to get those funding, by the way, before 2004, before all this other stuff, especially the battle with Michael Matt, right? I used to have all this funding. I got funding from Air Force, I got funding from NOAA. I got money even from NASA, right? And this day, there's just no way we can get it. So I'd rather do this kind of science, get a donor from people who tell us what to do and we actually follow the science, not follow the science trademark. Okay, like Fauci and so on and so forth. So I joke around to say that if you donate $10 or $100 or more, you'll be helping science rather than Anthony Fauci because Anthony Fauci thinks that if you criticize Anthony Fauci, you're criticizing science. So I can say the same thing. You know, please don't criticize Willie soon or else you're criticizing science. Please help support us. And thank you very much. And Tom, I really appreciate you for giving me the time to, to try to take my own time get all the point that I want to get across. I hope this is clear enough. If anybody have more questions, please contact us, of course, contact me easily. I just have actually one other question. Uh, if someone would like to work with you or you're looking for more talent, you're looking for uh, more Peter O'Neill's, et cetera, could, could they contact you? And uh... Of course, of course, of course. I, 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 we, are, we are open to anybody who wants to add something to us. We have so many things that we want to do, not because I want to do it. For example, we want to start a video project, video making. Uh, and the reason why I do that, in a, sorry, I look around, there are a lot of good guys, but I felt that their niche, you know, their little niche is, is not good enough, not yeah. sufficiently explanatory. It, it, it's mainly for us, it's, it's the taste. It's also the science and, uh, and strong words, sometimes too strong words. The point is now that I hope everybody can understand. I think it's too difficult to convince Michael Mann and IPCC and all that. We want to get more neutral people. Like, I remember I was so happy when I put out my Heartland Institute talk in Orlando last week. There was a guy who hit on me immediately. And he didn't even look at the video. And then after that, he looked at my video. And then he go look at another video that I looked that I talked at Independent Institute 2019, one of my most quote unquote popular. It's about a million, more than about a million now view. And he changed his mind. And when people are attacking me, he starts saying that, look, this guy is not what they say he is, especially from New York Times and Greenpeace, by the way. That's not even a New York Times. New York Times was so lazy. They basically piped the information directly from Greenpeace. You know, those activists who really don't like me, want to come after me, come after all these other things. Whereas there's not a single challenge to Michael Mann and even Gavin Schmidt, for example. You know, why do they deserve to get paid so much? Super great in a NASA grid where I think all their job is, is mediocre in my view. Uh, uh, I'm very sorry. And then for them to start spewing this kind of uh, nonsense, you know, it's a bit embarrassing. Well, they may be not embarrassed, but I am embarrassed for them. Someone just on Twitter was calling you a hero, and I do think that you are a hero for the work that you're doing. So thank you for all you're doing. I'll let you get going, but uh, we all appreciate it. No, thank you for, for spreading the message. Tom, right. I really appreciate what you're doing. Talk to you next time. Goodbye. All right. Thank you.